Welcome to Salamander Babies, your official source for Seska Seska slash fic. As of like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Quantum Anarchist Jim Gold. I'm Temporal Timekeeper Mario Panagetti. I'm Chief Philosophy Officer Lou Gold. Holodeck Programmer Jen Marshall. This week, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 3, The Shoot. In this episode, Harry and Tom profess their eternal love for one another uh, as prisoners of an alien race uh, who wrongfully convicts them of a terrorist bombing, and then Janeway lets the terrorists go. It's so weird. Jim read that from a vintage TV guide right now, verbatim. (laughs) Yeah. That is the episode I watched, so... (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awkward pauses. Quick quick question. Um, How about, why did you pick this episode? So, I picked this episode because uh, I I hadn't seen it in probably about a decade. Uh, And I remembered it as being kind of an odd uh, episode. It was... it, It... the the whole scenario of uh tom and harry being in prison for basically the entire episode and um and and their sort of uh desperation and their um their whole situation um struck me as like really interesting um i don't know it 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 felt kind of like stephen kingian where like you take these two characters out of their normal environment and you throw them in this place, and and then it's sort of like yeah you throw them to kind of wolves, um, and just see how they how they make it. And they kind of made it. <laughs> they were damn near uh, at the end of their ropes, but if they'd been actual wolves, they probably would have been fucked. Why do we have to get imprisoned by the wolf people? (laughs) So uh, I have, uh, we've mentioned I have this thing about uh, guest stars. It was only after after I chose this episode that I looked up who the guest stars were. Turns out the the alien ambassador uh, is, I think, Robert Pine. Um, But he's Chris Pine's real life dad. (laughs) Yeah. It's all connected. Yep. So I thought that was kind of neat. That is cool. Were the terrorists uh, anyone notable or the manifesto guy? I I briefly looked up all of them, but I don't remember seeing anything very interesting. This is all in Memory Alpha, um, so I didn't like look them up on IMDb. I gotcha. thought Chris Hemsworth was Chris Pine's dad. <laughs> it's oh, all yeah. Chris's. <laughs> Chris is all the way down. <laughs> it's like shoots all the way down. That's what I learned from the 2009 Star Trek film. That's true. That That's is canon. Yeah, it's totally canon. Yeah. Speaking of cannons. <laughs> Uh, the cannon that they shoot the food into the, 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 the t-shirt cannon that they use. So, you know, I, I will always look at episodes and kind of nitpick for weird eccentricities or decisions made or decisions not made that just happen to work out that way. Uh, in the scene where they climb up the chute, uh, it's it's a pretty steep angle shoot. It's probably like 60 degrees or so, like up from horizontal. Like, it would be difficult to, uh, like, you know, obviously something could just fall right down. But then the chute levels out to flat for a long period before they get to the escape hatch. I'm like, how do they drop shoot food down there? <laughs> like, unless they're using like a pressurized cannon, <laughs> just like blast it across the room. 
my so to be fair when they were crawling through it the chute was shaking so much that they probably just put the food in and then kick it a couple of times <laughs> yeah and it just sort of wobbles and everything falls out yeah I, I like that it was obviously like some industrial air vent thing that they that the prop department or that the set design department just that, like had like you can see the rivets in it <laughs> <laughs> they're like we're cleaning the asbestos out of this one building over here let's just uh, i don't know make them crawl through this shit we got yeah. all these ducts <laughs> <laughs> let's just throw uh harry kim through it <laughs> i mean they could have used one of those like plastic tube slides it's meant to hold a person but no <laughs> yes. slip and slide <laughs> you know you paint it whatever color you need it to be <laughs> yeah you make an episode about a shoot and you literally name it the shoot but you only have so much time to like source shoots <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know a shoot guy <laughs> yeah they, they get the the shoot contractor for the greater la area and they're like, no. These are ducks. You promised us shoots. <laughs> we can't call it the duct. We've already made the titles. You'll well, never a shoot. Work in this town again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a shoot is going to cost you extra, actually. And they're like, oh, f this. So get you two slides, put one over the other, get <laughs> kind of a shoot. That's not a shoot. We, okay, we got a helical shoot. We got, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> So I think my favorite part of the physical design of the shoot was that tiny little room that they put just inside. <laughs> yeah. Because first of all, I enjoyed watching Harry, like as he's climbing out of the cylindrical portion, he goes into this tiny room that I imagine is basically like a little rectangular box. And he does this actually really cute little move where he like puts his foot over to like brace himself. And I was like, that would be cool, except for the fact that you're clearly standing on something and there's no risk of you falling back down the chute. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have any idea what function it serves other than to apparently, I assume that those little ration bars just get stuck down there and it's probably so there's, bad. There's just a lot of rotten food yeah. up there. <laughs> He's standing on a pile <laughs> of ration bars. I mean, it, you, you could probably explain that as like, oh, that whole part of the chute was like the docking mechanism. Yeah. I assume it's where they, but, it's where the, uh, the wardens step out of their ship and then offload the food the bag. Or, or toss the prisoner yeah it's, it's like a, a bag of dog kibble <laughs> they're just like <laughs> maybe that's what it is get a big old funnel <laughs> yeah. to pour it through liquid lunch where did they get where did they get water down there like the, they talked about water like you saw someone drinking something urine well yeah but like where does the urine come from like people water. just prisoners <laughs> Want a man and love each other? <laughs> but but like there was no. It's a closed ecosystem. It's perfect. Oh, okay. Ugh, it's, it's like the those terrarium bottle things. <laughs> yes. They get water from the new prisoners. Yeah, oh, okay. they don't really need to keep like kill each other off if they're just like licking moisture off of each other's bodies. Yeah. Speaking of which, they were so sweaty in that they episode. They were very sweaty and very close and intimate the entire time. Definitely a closed, tight set. I imagined where not a lot of airflow was happening. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> There's something else happening. <laughs> Jen's really trying to put some innuendo there. They're really trying to put something in there. Put something in your innuendo. <laughs> see? See? You see what we deal with? This is this is how this podcast works. Whatever. You know that they were, um, at least the actors were trying to put something in there. Like they're, they, At one point, they're holding each other's hands. Harry lays down right next to Tom. Are you shipping the actors now? No. Not really. Not all the way. <laughs> I'm just saying that they intended to put something in there. That mm. it's like it's like hiding Easter eggs. You want somebody to find them. Now I don't want to ruin this because this is a really good, uh, good direction to go. I love the but, idea that the actors ship their own characters. Yeah, <laughs> and try to make it happen subtly. But, 
but there there really is just like a lot of desperation just like pure desperation like they're the only people that they can trust That's and true. all that and it's like uh, yeah sexual but probably <laughs> not sexual so i i believe that um you know, some of the actors, some of the writers might just want Harry to finally have a lasting relationship. <laughs> <laughs> with a, with someone who isn't a Canadian uh, Alpha Quadrant yeah. girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, do you mean to tell me that if they were not rescued ever, that they would not end up together romantically? Oh, if they weren't rescued, Tom would have bled out. Yeah. Harry uh, <laughs> yeah. would have gotten murdered. This, or, <laughs> this would have been much longer than one episode. <laughs> Romantics. <laughs> he got stabbed in the stomach. Yeah, there was no way he was going to survive. All right, amended theory. Uh, Tom would have died. Harry would have been the lieutenant of this cult that started. Yes. And he would have read the manifesto. Yeah. He would have become very devout. And uh, I'm not saying that Harry's a follower, but he's. He he's definitely he's not a leader. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, okay, so if Tom hadn't got stabbed. Okay. <laughs> Let's back check. So, so let's just rewrite the entire yeah. episode. I, I plan to. New yeah. premise. Forget the prison part. Forget the death part. <laughs> Tom just, and Harry are just in a room together. They, they <laughs> and the door gets together. locked. <laughs> they end up making a nice little cottage out of the skin and bones of the other prisoners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been sweet. Speaking of that, uh, the the blanket hanging, the the sentient blanket, uh, the the blanket that there's there's no ex- there's no reason for there to be a blanket in this uh, in this prison. I think they do a blanket drop sometimes. Yeah, so it's prisoner it's drops, like, food drops, water drops, blanket drops. Okay, teddy that's, bear drops. That's yeah, <laughs> occasional teddy bear drops. They don't cats. go overboard. They just throw a bunch of cats in there every so often. Did you say cats? Yeah, cats. <laughs> that's what dinner is. Those cats tumbling down the street. That's a delightful image. <laughs> do they land on their feet? Yeah, of course they do. In space? Not in space. Yeah, in space. There's gravity. No, there's actually video of cats in space. They don't land on their feet. It's kind of a cruel experiment, but... Oh, in, in like a vomit comet thing? or Yeah, I think it was on one of those... Uh... One of those airplanes designed to create. Did they just like throw them at a wall? They like they're holding a cat, and then the cat just like stretches his arms out in all directions when zero g kicks. Yeah, because there's like there's nowhere to fall. It loses like it loses. (laughs) Poor kitty. Poor kitty. I just want to see a roaming gang of cats like prowling the prison. There are fifty prisoners, but there are like two hundred cats. Well, there there are fifty prisoners. There are fifty prisoners, and there are like forty five shivs. But but like. It's musical shifts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and all the, the, those five people are just... <laughs> um, but just every so often, someone will yell, Cats! And they'll all scatter. Kitties! <laughs> they'll scatter, and the cats just like roll through and just kill like 16 people. It'd be like that episode of Always Sunny. It's like, you better eat your cat food and have some glue. <laughs> so there's about to be 50 cats howling outside right now. You're creating your own problems. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were watching the episode, we are speculating about how they got all the shivs in this prison but i'm just convinced that there was a prisoner made out of knives possibly a dad figure <laughs> knife dad got imprisoned <laughs> knife dad yeah knife? those are like they were really those are well children made shivs. <laughs> knife dad's children oh that, that, that was so cool <laughs> I was just thinking doing the west side story thing for the whole episode basically <laughs> Um, all right plot what did we think of the plot uh which which aspect of it i mean 
neither neither were very good but <laughs> so yeah the b plot was basically servicing the a plot it was voyager trying to um find evidence to exonerate harry and tom which turned out to not matter but it did give them the information they needed to eventually rescue them yeah there's some kind of political subplot there which we don't really get to know very much about we don't know what the terrorists stand for but we get a sense that the government is unjust in terms of how they treat prisoners and how they they do a lot of punishments so there may be some idea that the terrorists are morally justified but we don't really know what their what their uh, acts are and if they're like comparable to what they're fighting against. Yeah, it's it's really strange. Um, Voyager sends down an away party of of Tom and Harry. It sounded like they were on shore leave from what they from what Tom was sort of offhandedly saying is what could have been a joke, but that was kind of my read too that it was a break of some kind. Maybe, but like they do absolutely no research about like <laughs> the fact that this is like a crazy uh, like prison obsessed planet with like a a very substantial terrorist organization that just kills people. So one of the things that I noted was when they were describing the attack. The attack killed I believe it was 45 people and I don't remember if they said 45 or 44. 47. What it, it, 40 something people, mm-hmm. but they were like cops. Yeah. And I'm like and I believe that they said that Harry and Tom were kind of nearby or something like that and I'm just like were they, like, where were they hanging out? What were they doing? Like, I picture Tom is just going to, like, strip clubs and, like, beaches the entire time. <laughs> yeah, he's, if he's on shore leave, he's trying to get laid. I heard there's what? some kind of, like, vintage automobile club on that planet. <laughs> Space cars. <laughs> Space rods. <laughs> I'm sure, like, he probably had some wacky scheme and Harry was just following along as Harry's want to do. And they just wind up getting convicted of a terrorist bombing. Which makes you think that um, the government was effectively trying to put them up as, um, what's the word, scapegoats. They basically wanted to say, like, hey, these are the guys who committed a crime. Look, we've captured these terrorists that have plagued our society. Like, I, I definitely get the sense that the, the sitting government is like a totalitarian regime of some kind. I, I definitely feel like this is definitely in my head. But I feel like it could be like a V for Vendetta type of scenario of, of the control they have over the people and the public acts they do to show that everything is normal. I love that their scapegoat is an alien species that has never showed up in the entire quadrant ever before and rolls up for like a day or two. <laughs> yeah. It seems super fake to me. <laughs> what, what you were saying, Mario, it, it, it's, it's like in that kind of situation, uh, you, you could imagine that Voyager doing like even the smallest bit of research about like what this planet is like would expose that. Oh, I agree. And comparing this to... Um, Oh, shoot. I forget episode names already. But the bird people, um, mm-hmm. where Neelix actually provided some insight on on the planet's happenings and the war that they're at. It seems weird that they went to this society with no kind of study or, or insight from Neelix or someone who could provide that information. I feel like a reasonable protocol when going to a new planet would be to ask for a copy of their criminal justice code. Or just like be like, all right, we just need to know what your basic crimes are so we don't break any. Yeah, that doesn't look suspicious at all. Well, Excuse me, tell well, me your crimes. No, it, <laughs> no, it, it's totally reasonable. Oh no, no, I, when you when you travel somewhere, it's good to know like what's illegal there. Well, especially considering even 
in our modern context, you are culpable for crimes you commit in other countries, whether or not you know the crimes. Yeah. Like, that is your responsibility as, as a traveler and, and a foreigner. Yeah, ignorance of the law is not an excuse, yeah. basically, and, and especially, in, most, in most contexts. And especially with Voyager and Starfleet's regulations of, of honoring the legal system and the, the behavior of different societies and cultures as, like, a front-most directive, prime directive. Mm-hmm. Although, I suppose, technically, um, technically, knowledge of... You're not allowed to blow up 40-something police officers. Wouldn't have prevented it. But maybe knowing that there's no appeal process or anything like that, I feel like that should be a red flag for uh, away missions. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Knowing how their legal system works. Knowing that, like, I don't know, maybe those were the worst of the worst criminals or whatever, but knowing that they just, like, throw people away uh, into free-for-all prisons for life. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. It, It... in a lot of ways, this kind of strikes me like a lot of other episodes that we've seen where it's sort of like a bunch of conceits in a row in order to get the writers to um, to be able to justify some particular situation. I've basically decided that if I end up writing some Star Trek fanfic at some point, it's just going to be basically a couple of crew members sitting around on Voyager debating whether or not they should actually go down to a planet based <laughs> on some sort of like system that they have in place. Just like paralyzed by indecision or just like the amount of information they have to deal with. It's like, all right, here's their legal tome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harry, read through this and report back to us in three days. Here's their encyclopedia. That's it's like it says it says they can lock us up for walking on the left side of the street. Fuck this place. <laughs> Every mission takes like two weeks because you have to spend a week studying their culture. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we ran out of supplies. Uh, fuck it. I have a feeling they never do that kind of due diligence, considering that these legal reveals are always a surprise. The history of Star Trek with like Kirk just saying YOLO and <laughs> flipping off the planet because they fly away. But, but like, if we even saw an episode an episode featuring this kind of stuff recently where um, Janeway uh, insulted and offended like the interpretive dance culture. <laughs> uh, it was in the Macrocosm episode. It was Tac-Tac. Yeah, the Tac-Tac. The and, and she's just like, I don't fucking know what's going on. And Neelix is like, you're fucking this all up. I love the word she said was something the effect of like, I know we're supposed to be tolerant and stuff, but these guys are weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that was the line. Yeah, I, I think so. But yeah, it's just like, oh, we don't actually know anything about this culture, so... Nor do they have enough time to learn these things. Like, they, their prime mission at this point is to go in a beeline to the Alpha Quadrant. Like, anything that doesn't service that, they, they shouldn't be doing shore leave on random-ass planets that <laughs> random could have these problems. With, like, crazy prison cultures. Right, but like, even if they don't know that, it's like... Like, oh, this is going to take time where we're not researching how to get home any faster. Oh, they don't know about wormholes? Moving on. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not entirely enough of that, I don't think, because every week they seem to get, you know, sidetracked by something else. But at least then there's a conceit of like, oh, we're getting supplies. Oh, we're getting information about the systems up ahead. We're learning about, like, you know, they do take time to learn about, like, who owns this portion of space? Because that's how space works, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Who owns the space territory? But they didn't seem to do any of that for this episode for the purpose of getting Tom and Harry into a prison for storytelling. Mm-hmm. I can't get mad at that because that is how Star Trek TV writing is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing more, more <laughs> than it's angering. Right, it's like we're working backward from the premise and it's like, oh, it doesn't go back as far as I want it to. Yeah. I feel like I would have been more satisfied with um, an atypical scenario in, in their uh, criminal justice system or political system, like 
because this is a terrorist group and, you know, oh, there's public outcry and therefore, you know, like a two sentence throwaway excuse for like, well, we just can't, you know, reopen this. The families of the dead are too upset and this and that and we can't, you know, it'll throw the system into turmoil. See, I think working backward from the premise, I think we could come up with a better way to tell it because the premise ultimately what they wanted to do was put Tom and Harry in a situation where they're at wit's end they don't know how they're going to get out and they're being driven to these psychological extremes you could have that and also not have the totalitarian government it could just be that Voyager takes a whole episode's worth of time to prove their innocence and then they get out and but like right before they get out Harry's about to do something and Mm -hmm. then he has to forever think like what if that hadn't happened? What if I had gone through with that act? What kind of person am I? Uh, and there's hints of that, but I think it kind of gets uh, muddled by the B-plot a little bit. Also, it gets muddled by the clamp that they wear. The that's clamp. like, that's the, you know, oh, well, we're not that bad after all. It was all chemicals and... Uh... I mean, in, in keeping with Roddenberry's idea of like, that the people shouldn't like genuinely be in conflict, like, I, I, I can understand it, um, it it seems like a, a relatively necessary conceit. On the other hand, though, how interesting would it be if the clamp's nervous system effects were psychosomatic? Mm-hmm. It's, it's <laughs> like a placebo a, clamp. Like at the end, the doc- they're like, so doctor, what was causing this? He's it's like, oh, this is just a metal clamp they stuck on their heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was all them. It, it kills you if you try to take it off, but other than that, it does nothing. <laughs> Chemicals? No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, it's a sedative. <laughs> <laughs> kills the libido and yet somehow they thrive (laughs) (laughs) not in jen's fake it doesn't it heightens it (laughs) that's just yeah it's the uh side effect of the clamp (laughs) that's totally how a fig would spin it though it's like yeah it made them really irritable but it also made them really horny (laughs) yeah that's that's how that's how this episode written by ao3 would would go They have to work off that energy somehow. Mm-hmm. They have two options. Yep. But it involves blanket forts. It's murder and sex. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much it. Yep, that's very Star Trek. Yes, that's very Star Trek. <laughs> you know what else is very Star Trek? Letting terrorists go. <laughs> Letting people who like basically admitted to murdering 47 people just go. It's like, oh, whatever. I mean, I think Janeway basically gave up on the legal system once she found out there was no appeal process. She's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Guns yeah, blazing. It's like, well, I guess at this point, we just need our two people back and you can just murder as many of them as you want. It's the purge. <laughs> <laughs> we're already going against your legal system since we're under arrest. So might as well go all out. Yeah, it's very Hobbesian. It's it's like as soon as the government says like, "Oh, we're actually going to kill you," then you're totally within your rights to rebel. Yeah, I bet. It's logical. So, and so they did. But I guess we should probably talk more about the A plot since that is sort of what the episode's about. <laughs> I'm actually I'm not sure which one was the A plot. Was the A-plot Tom and Harry? Insofar as as if there is a separation, then I think the Voyager stuff is the B-plot, but I do think it's purely done to service the A-plot. It's it's basically Voyager racing against time to save them. Meanwhile, you're seeing what's happening. So so they're concurrent events that are related. They're not typical A-plot, B-plot, where it's just two stories happening concurrently. Gotcha. Considering the episode title is The Shoot, I would argue that the A-plot would be The Shoot and things involving The Shoot. How weird would be if there wasn't a shoot in it? (laughs) You're like, why is it called The Shoot? We were filming and we didn't know how to spell it. In my notes, I just have a line that says, The shoot is a lie, the pipe is a lie, and and the clamp is a lie. (laughs) 
It's named after the time when Janeway slides down the chute and then shoots. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's a homophone. It's a typo. <laughs> the chute, it's that phaser the rifle the phaser. blast. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, the grammar's a little off. We just like the way it sounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the idea of like Janeway going in first. I was like, no, send in a no-name <laughs> security <laughs> officer Anyone can first. fire a phaser, Janeway. <laughs> yeah. Only one person can be the captain. Basically, all you need to do is just jump in and stun everybody and yeah. just drag your people out. Don't they have stun grenades? Yeah, I feel like it, you wouldn't even worry that much about stunning your crew members. Just stun everyone and then take the crew out. This food looks weird. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why not do that? <laughs> Janeway wanted to point a gun at people. She likes those phaser rifles. She does. We've seen it in Macrocosm. She looks good mm-hmm. doing it. I'm just picturing them hooking up like a vacuum hose to the opening to the chute and just sucking everybody up. <laughs> and then just throwing everybody back that's not Tom and Harry. You just, put a, just put a screen up <laughs> up in front of it and just let all the prisoners fly up against the screen and just pick out the ones that you want. It's like a strainer with Tom and Harry shaped holes. Yeah, so the exactly. prisoners stay That's on the exactly outside. That's yeah. what I was thinking. I was kidding. Set it to Tom and Harry. <laughs> it's got but, like a little extra flu for Harry's hair. But also, if they could if they could jump down the chute guns blazing, why couldn't they just beam Tom and Harry out? Why even need the dramatic moment at all? But you're asking the wrong questions. Well, because the episode's named the chute. Well, named it there so. to be a dramatic yeah. moment. I mean, like, what? Like, that would be so lame if, like, they just, like, beamed out of the prison and it's just like... Oh, where are we? Yeah, I mean, I think the way you phrase that question answers it. It's like the dramatic <laughs> Not moment. Not cool enough. The dramatic moment is the point. And it's centered around the shoot. Yeah. It all ties together. Yeah, like they probably wouldn't even be able to get out at like a, ha, when they were like beaming out of the prison. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to have a dramatic moment where the transport operator's like, I'm compensating for the shield frequency. <laughs> and Shane was like, I'm just jumping down there with a gun. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'll take care of this one. How did they get them out? Did they drag them up through the chute? Yeah, there's like a five-minute scene where they cut out. We're slowly crawling up did the chute. Did they shoot. set up like a block and tackle at the top and just like hoist them out? Or? Yeah, and then drag Tom up and he's like bleeding along the Yeah, there's a blood trail like, up the chute. <laughs> they get him to the top and he's lost like six pints. And he's just like... Ugh. He's delirious. He's like flailing around. The, to- the chute's shaking back and forth. Yeah, it's not secure. That's the dramatic tension. Harry's getting really pissed off. <laughs> My clamp's kicking in. Yeah, whoever comes up after Tom is just going to be slipping in blood. <laughs> it's metal. I'm just, so metal. I'm just saying, he's so out of it, it's probably not just blood. There's urine and feces falling down that chute. Yeah, you saw him. The prisoners are probably used to it. <laughs> probably got toxoplasma from the cats. Yeah, that's also true. But yeah, the next time food goes down, it's just going to be covered in blood and shit. Everyone's going to get herpes. They don't care. They they probably eat each other. They're going to get everything that Tom has. Yeah. I'm like... Space AIDS. (laughs) Well, I think it's Tom. You probably just have regular AIDS. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess it's alien AIDS to them. I don't think that you can contract herpes through fluids. Yeah, I think it has to be skin-to-skin contact. Well, it's a virus. Open sore. Blood. Tom had a very the blood. Sore. All blood. the blood. Yeah, blood. Yeah. There's a lot of bad things that can happen with blood contact. Whether they would transfer to the aliens in there, I don't know. I like to think that the iron-based blood would actually be toxic to the aliens. <laughs> incidentally, killing all of them. <laughs> Just kill all the prisoners with Tom's space disease. It's hollow VD. <laughs> so we're definitely just talking about the Voyager parts this episode, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, I liked the psychological uh, journey they go through in this story. Like, 
I wish that Clamp wasn't there because it would be much more interesting if it was them just kind of going crazy because of the situation, which I think would be a reasonable situation for someone to go crazy in. Yes. Although it is funny that that guy spent like six years with his little like sharpened pencil and his papers in the low light just figuring out the most obvious thing that the clamp could be for. Like Harry probably figured that out yeah. already it's just like, through circumstance. Shit, they we... want us to kill each other off. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we were watching it for like 15 <laughs> minutes and we were like, yeah, that's of course that's what it's there for. I didn't really understand that character's purpose other than to provide them shelter and be a foil i guess being a foil is good enough reason i think it shows that um in order to survive there you kind of have to be crazy is is sort of what's getting at because even him a very level-headed character the first time you actually see him in the episode he slits someone's throat for food and then he has like a little quip to to tom and harry it's like oh he probably wasn't hungry it's like despite all his, his highfalutin talk about his manifesto like he kills people wantonly just like everyone else he's just more uh, calm about it when when i was watching the episode i felt like he was a member of the terrorist group and I, I was expecting him to turn out to be like a leader or something that the terrorists on the ship the brother and sister wanted to save i was expecting there to be some little subplot I'm- there and i was like waiting for it to happen and then it didn't happen i was like okay so this guy's like just happens to just be dude. an inspirational cult, potentially cult figure head that never actually got off the ground. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I was shaking my head there, um, because, and that's great podcasting. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I was shaking my head uh, just because, like, no, that would actually be an interesting plot point, uh, and they they there's no way they would have done that. <laughs> Yeah, nowhere in the uh, shoot scenes do they mention terrorists or open sky or I think even the name of the species. Like, it it totally feels like they were almost written in isolation of each other. Like, maybe the Voyager scenes were written to create a wrapper to the episode. That that sounds totally reasonable. But the the episode is is definitely, like, the Tom Harris stuff is is totally Mm self-contained until Jamie jumps in with the phaser. Yeah. The fuel of their bromance. I actually kind of dig the fact that it's so separate just because it helps create the isolation and the desperate unknown. Because, like, when Tom gets stabbed, it's actually pretty early in the episode, and you're just like, where is this going? And the fact that they're still in prison up to the last two minutes is like, oh, okay, I guess this is going to be more of an ordeal than I expected. So I kind of liked the separation, but I was expecting them to tie it together, and it didn't happen. You know, I was expecting them to tie the, like, political, cultural aspect from the B-plot into the A-plot a little bit more. That's something that you could bring back for a couple episodes and have it be more interesting instead of just, like, who? <laughs> what was this conflict? I think the separation worked in terms of uh, in terms of storytelling. Like you said, it, it added all... It added kind of hopelessness to the situation. Like, all of Harry's efforts with that stupid wire pipe to, like hack the shield like he carried out his plan and then he realized he was in the middle of outer space and it didn't matter like none of his efforts actually got them any closer to escape it's only voyager at the end that deus ex machina is them but as a result you get to see him go down to his like these lower depths of despair but even the voyager thing was kind of video gamey in that it was like janeway finds out that their people are still alive and they can't get them, but there are things that they could do to get them and they have to do all these things in order to find people that can get them to do the thing and then there's another obstacle and then they get their objective. It's like a quick time adventure game. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's like, like, well, you have to press X right now. Yeah, it's like a super fast D&D campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, the moment, though, when you see that they're in space and it's like that hopeless reveal, that made me genuinely happy because I really, I mean, I don't, I actually like Harry and I don't want bad shit to happen to him. So this isn't anything like, aha, suck it, Harry. It, it was more of a, like, I just like it when shows get really fun harsh all of a sudden you're just like wow this is much bleaker than i expected but i i kind of found myself wondering like where would harry go from here and i mean obviously um the not friendship but relationship that he gets with the potential cult leader guy i don't know if we learned his name at all zeo zeo is a potential thing but when when harry like looks out and it's space I was like, I wonder how long it would go before Harry just killed himself. Like, if Tom died and he was stuck there, would he actually find a way to adapt? Or would he just be like, nope, f*** Yeah. I mean, they have Zero tempting him, right? He's like, hey, you should get rid of Tom. He's a burden. And also, you should follow me. Like, I can keep us alive and I can, like, make a better life for us here. And you see him get very briefly tempted by that when he's handed the the shiv. Um, But... Then he ultimately overcomes it. So like he actually ends the episode pretty stable mentally, I think. It was it was good to see him have something like more actually emotional to deal with instead of like just being the butt of some plot joke. <laughs> Which is usually is Harry's fate. It's like, ah, oh, Harry's dead again. Ah, oh, Harry's <laughs> captured again. Ah oh, I happened to Harry this time. But like now he actually has to solve something. That's a good point. He's not always taking lead in, no. in these kind of stories. Yeah, things happen to him a lot. I like the fact that he didn't break bad news to Tom, that he stayed outwardly optimistic. That kind of felt like a, a strong move for him. You know, maybe it's in character, but it still made me um, be like, okay, nice. It, it was noteworthy for me. So. Yeah, he's using that Starfleet training instead That's of just panicking. <laughs> Tom! <laughs> Tell me what to do, Tom! <laughs> How do I shift? this time, Tom? <laughs> what do I do with this? Where's the phaser button? How do I set the shift to stun? Give me your 1950s training, Tom, before you die. <laughs> Let me explain what fire ants are to an alien. You never taught me how to drive stick. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Felt that coming up. Yeah. Light years away. I was, I was hoping for it. I was like, oh, please do this. Wouldn't it have been so wonderful though if, like, as soon, it was just before Voyager arrived, Harry and Kim had both died? Yes. Wouldn't it have been wonderful? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it have been interesting? It would have been a two-parter, that's for sure. <laughs> I appreciate your nihilistic view on entertainment. Just one of them dies, and the other one did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Harry was going after Tom with that pipe before he decided that he loved him. Oh, he always loved him. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, it's like, this guy is my friend. Nobody touches him. He overcame his, uh, his <laughs> clip. <laughs> I got that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the episode, the, the lines that Paris says to Kim are, you know, that's pretty good. That was kind of touching. Character development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a genuine moment. Yeah. I, I liked it. They've been through some shit at this point. I'm sure they forget about it in the next episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Never mentioned again. (laughs) Yeah, they're buddies. But yeah, no, they don't mention it again. (laughs) Was this before or after Tom was, like, literally 
uh, grifting Harry in the fucking pool hole and she's injuring. Yeah, that's uh, a weird okay. plotline. It's like season two, I think. Uh, okay, because man, if that had happened after this, <laughs> that would have been so fucking amazing. I would be interested in actually like seeing in chronological order the progression of the relationship. Does anybody remember? Like, I guess, I guess in Starfleet weddings, maybe there isn't like a best man, but I was just like, is Harry Tom's best man? Do they actually mm-hmm. have a wedding in the real timeline? Because I thought the only wedding they showed was the um, the demon class species wedding. I guess technically they could have had the kid without getting married. That's true too. I actually don't know if they get married. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the first thing you see of Harry and Tom is like Tom shows up and like Harry's getting like grifted by a Ferengi. It's like, didn't they teach you about Ferengi? Oh, that's on, uh, that's that's on, it's quark on DS9. Yeah. 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 He's trying to sell them like something crystals. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, like, Tom comes in as like a big brother figure almost. Yeah, and it's like... Let me well, show you the ropes, number kid. Number one, Tom, that's racist. But <laughs> well, apparently the academy <laughs> teaches you about yeah. entire races yeah. and how not to deal with them. You shouldn't talk to those dirty people. <laughs> Listen, they're not in the Federation. <laughs> we don't have to be tolerant for those Ferengi. <laughs> I was going to come up with a racist term for Ferengi. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Big ears. Yeah. Uh, Jim did. Well, though. they actually they like big <laughs> Jim ears. Jim went there. Though. Yeah, that's true. That's they do. Yeah, that's, they fetishize their own ears. That's interesting. I mean, they're like erogenous zones. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not. It's fair. really fetishizing. Different strokes, you know. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Jim, uh, <laughs> Jim just made a motion indicating that he was rubbing a Frankie's earlobe. Yep, excellent podcasting. Yep. You got to cover I'm for a, that. I'm a, I'm a, a master podcaster. <laughs> yeah, just pretend this is, you know, D and D. You got to describe everything. Yep. In the theater of the mind. The odor of mildew emanates from the wet dungeon walls. <laughs> that was pretty good. Where are the Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> I searched the desk. I attacked the darkness. <laughs> Are there Cheetos in the desk? Yes, they're old though. If I eat, I, uh, I, I, eat I oh, I roll a history check to determine how old they are. They're two weeks old. I oh. already ate one. You're fine. They're just stale. <laughs> <laughs> I eat the whole bag. You have kind of a stomachache. Shit, that's a negative that a... one to uh, what constitution? That's that's harsh. Yeah, for the next two turns. Yeah, I take, a, turns, I take a nap. Somebody carry me. I'm a halfling. It's easy. I, li- I leave Lou behind. You, you eat a whole bag of chips. Yeah, you're taking a nap. Lou ate a bag of Cheetos. I left her behind from her coma. Her Cheeto coma. I wake up in a dark room half hour later. <laughs> I steal Lou's clothing and then leave in the night. Scared out of my wits. My naked halfling runs down the hall. Do you, do you still have a sling? Of course. I'm not a fool. <laughs> I want to play D and D. I want to play podcast D and D. Yeah, we should do that. Oh, there's a fun. there's a Star Trek one coming out soon. Star Trek D and D. Yeah, well, well Star, Star Trek tabletop um, yeah. spinoff podcast coming soon. <laughs> yeah, just every week we play like two hours of it. If I write a Star Trek fanfic, it's going to probably be a bunch of the Voyager crew sitting around and playing a tabletop role playing game. That's awesome. <laughs> It's like it's like in TNG when they're all playing poker. Yeah. Oh man, you should make it like the the holodeck breaks and they have to think of some shit to do. Oh yes, <laughs> Chipotle puts the holodeck out of order. I totally want to see them doing a holodeck program of them playing D and D like this holodeck basement. Well, it's like a, wow. in TNG they play poker. Maybe in Voyager they play D and D. That sounds great. Yeah. Star Trek Discovery. Are you listening? Yeah, there's like that whole episode where they're like all on that. Um, that holodeck program that Tuvok wrote and then they're all 
bugging because he didn't finish it, and then Janeway's like, no, you should finish it because we need some entertainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all so f***ing bored. Yeah. <laughs> D&D is endless entertainment. That's true. Ooh. Literally. They probably still play three and a half edition using yeah. 24th century. Yeah, probably. It's still the best. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have time to figure out apps and shit. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I might want to. So, you know, Tuvok would be a rules lawyer. (laughs) Oh, Tuvok would fucking do it. Would he play? I don't understand. Why can't I be a half orc monk? Tuvok, like. He would would play because I would be writing this. Well, but no, like, really, though. (laughs) Real real Vulcans, though. have every rule in his head. Are they interested in fun? No, my question is do they play games that, um, that assume false narratives? Because all Vulcan, like, lore is based on historical reference. They don't, they don't make stories or. So my my opinion on it, or maybe my justification of getting what I want, is that <laughs> it's like be believable. well, well, Tuvok is capable of running through hypothetical scenarios. He made the holodeck program to run through hypos. That's true. So he would probably be up for it as long as he could get something out of it, which could be as simple as getting to know the behaviors of the you know crew that he's playing with. I want to see Seven play and. She basically role plays herself literally. She, yeah. So like they come across the and she's like, I assimilate the photo. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have <laughs> you don't have nanoprobes. Of course I do. This is three point five. I'm seven or nine. This is three point five. It's a fantasy game. You guys are set in a fantasy land with half orcs and everything. Nanoprobes. I, I Na- seek out the board. <laughs> yeah. She builds like a communication array from D and D tech. Coconuts and bearskins. She learns to reverse engineer the magic of the world to build technology within the world that is like rules accurate. Like D&D MacGyver. <laughs> I mean, using nanoprobes is a, it, it's an exotic weapon, so you need to spend a feat to, to get proficient in it. She'd do it. Yeah, she would. That's, all, that's the only thing she'd need to do. She would rule that party. She'd be the healer. <laughs> she realizes that subspace exists on the planar system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Build... <laughs> that can go into subspace. She could, like, calculate dice rolls in her mind. And... She could probably take out a Tarrasque without too much difficulty. I Just assimilate it. an entire horde and have them. <laughs> She's like, okay, we're going to split up. You guys take this Tarrasque. We'll take this other Tarrasque. Ah, Just Tarrasque. Throw... Species 4721. <laughs> the Borg assembly. <laughs> 200 years ago. Their biological and technological distinctiveness was added to our own. I want to see a Borg Tarrasque <laughs> so badly. It could be the episode I <laughs> Oh, for this one, we already have this one. Well, I guess this episode has no Borg. <laughs> or D&D. Every episode has Borg. No Borg, no Tarrasque, but you know what we're getting. All right. <laughs> but we're written, so every episode has Borg in it. This, this is going to be like five goths all over again. <laughs> it's going to be my joke that nobody online gets. The internet, we also made you this. I thought it was funny. <laughs> At least two people well, that I know you. on the internet liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, like, popular. Mm-hmm. People know me. She's a big deal. <laughs> I'll be the first person to tell you. <laughs> My mom will be the second person to tell you. <laughs> I like Those are the mom. two. <laughs> so, do we have any other points related to this episode? Um, Neelix's ship. <laughs> <laughs> why, do, why do they still have that piece of shit? So... I like to think that the writers had special rules about when and how they could use Neelix's ship as a plot device. <laughs> like, okay, can we employ Neelix's ship in this episode? Is it warranted? It they bring like, out the big guns. It looks like a kindergartner drew Serenity. Is what it looks like. <laughs> Does it get destroyed at some point? I feel like they probably just 
dump it somewhere. Uh, well, <laughs> Neelix, Neelix takes off, doesn't he? He yeah, does he, in the second to last episode. He, he might use his own ship for that. Yeah, he uh, he goes and hangs out with some more Talaxians. Ta- uh, yeah, he finds like a colony of them. So he may not need his own ship for that even. <laughs> Between episodes, they're like, guess we don't need this shit anymore. <laughs> Empty it out in space. Seven's like, I kind of need this space for like my alcoves and stuff. So if you can just <laughs> shove it out this cargo bay. okay. I'm going to make a few more drones. I need some... Uh, some space for regeneration. I mean, like, how long would it take for them to realize it was missing? <laughs> if she was just like, oops. It wasn't in her inventory. Yeah. I'm just picture her literally dismantling it and transporting <laughs> bit by bit off with nobody's looking. I don't know what you're talking about. I was never here. <laughs> Give him some credit. Neelix had a, legit- a legitimate role in the rescue mission. He did. They probably couldn't have done it as easily without him. <laughs> they, so... they needed a non-Federation starship to complete that operation, I suppose. Yep. And they still refuse to use cloaking devices. They don't have the technology. They could have gotten it very easily, but Janeway's <laughs> still it? like... <laughs> if only they had stolen technology from species. Like they rolled D100 and <laughs> they got cloaking device. No, but I mean like other other species had cloaking Wondrous devices. cloaking device. Get serious. <laughs> Are we pretty much done? I mean, we could talk more about Neelix's ship. We're done. <laughs> there was Kess flashing Harry the help me eyes. <laughs> See, Jen saw it too. Yep. It was a little thing. I don't ship them, but no, she no. was smiling at him in a weird way. Yeah, she was just doing a goofy grin and it was pointed at Harry. Yeah, I think it was just bad acting, but <laughs> I can totally mm-hmm. see it as being a moment if someone wanted to. Yeah. I like to think that Garrett Wong just like made a funny noise right before they started filming that yeah. scene and she just couldn't keep it together. Maybe. Maybe he's I been doing a gag, like a joke that where they have to cut it each time and there's like the tenth take and she's just like waiting for him to do it again. Maybe he knows about Chipotle's secret room. <laughs> no one knows. We only invented that a few weeks ago. Chipotle knows. Oh, he knows. He knows. I'll take it to his grave. Uh, can we just take a moment? Seska, Seska, that fic was brilliant. Oh, good job. Was. Yes. <laughs> I had a good time writing it. I hope so. Well, it's one of my uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. In case you read the thing that I wrote, I ended up liking Seska a lot more than I previously did. She's kind of fun in the course of writing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Because I was like, at first I wasn't like I, I knew who she was, but I hadn't really meditated on her character that much. But yeah, she is an interesting person. Yeah. Well, and I was really impressed with how you were able to create a character justification for that relationship happening. It's like, oh, like she's like very vain kind of character, and yeah. like th- that works so well. <laughs> yeah, I I like the fact that um, she dropped Chakotay because the version of Chakotay is the version that Tuvok sees, mm-hmm. where he's just not. <laughs> he's a two dimensional character, <laughs> more than usual, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, because I figured, you know, if you're programming something, it's just going to be what you want, right? And it's yeah. only biased based on Tuvok's yeah. perspective I mean, like, as an unemotional character. Yeah, there's only so much the holodeck can do. It can't live out all of your fantasies. Really? I mean, it could if you program it, but she didn't program right. it. I mean, she could totally program, like, a sycophantic Chakotay, but I don't even think that she would really want also, that. Also, you had the isolinear chips. I really liked that. <laughs> <laughs> she was hacking with the chips. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, when I saw that it was tagged for Chakotay slash Seska, I was like, I was like, okay, I know that Jen likes Chakotay. I'm like, I, I foresee a little bit of smut going on here. And then when it was just like shut down, I was like, all right then. <laughs> I do love Chakotay. 
it's interesting that, you know, she's so into him and he's just like, he couldn't really care less about her. I mean, like, he's kind of hurt when the uh, the reveal happens that she's like a Cardassian spy. Spoilers. Um, and then when she uh, reveals that she's having his baby. Yeah, like, he's got some feelings there, but he doesn't really care about her. <laughs> You know, she's just, she's not long-term material for Mr. Chakotay. <laughs> she's not Janeway. <laughs> but yeah, I do like Seska. And she's like so obviously like, you're supposed to hate her. But like, if you think about it, why? <laughs> like, I mean, she's just against our heroes. You think you should be a pretty good uh, co-pirate with uh, Taurus? Yeah, she and Taurus, they like each other. They're friends. Yeah. Yeah. They could have gotten along if, you know, she wasn't She wasn't a spy. A, yeah. She wasn't such a dirty, faithless spy. If she was actually like a Bajoran just serving on the crew. Yeah, no, if she was just like Seska the Bajoran, her and, yeah, they could have been girls. I mean, they were girls. Yeah. Girls in the sense of being friends that are girls. I mean, is, obviously is that, they're also women. Oh, well, yeah. Seska well, Bolana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eventually there's going to be a pirate fic <laughs> involving Bolana. Does one of them have an eye patch? Yeah, probably. Nice. Maybe both of them have eye patches? Or one of them has two eye patches. Ooh, <laughs> double patch. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. They find a, like a super fast ship and they get to the Alpha Quadrant first. <laughs> and Seska's like, I told you so. You got me there. Oh yeah. I owe you a Coke. <laughs> Jinx. And with that, we've concluded our discussion of The Shoot. For next week's episode, I'll hand the show over to our resident holodeck programmer, Jen. Yes. So the next one that I'm choosing is a two-parter called The Killing Game, which is in season four. I believe it's episodes 18 and 19. Oh, is that the Herosian yep. holiday? Oh my god, I love this episode. <laughs> yeah. You guys can't see it, but I'm throwing metal horns right now. <laughs> It's a really good, it's a really good episode. It's real good. <laughs> Involving a lot of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This has been Salamander Babies. To read our show notes for this episode and all our previous episodes, visit us on the web at salamanderbabies.com. We're on Twitter at salamandertrek, Facebook at facebook.com slash salamanderbabies, and Tumblr at salamanderbabies.tumblr.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at hellocomputer at salamanderbabies.com. Computer and program.